So we're going to be jumping around a bit from Hosea chapter four to nine, um, but hopefully can um, maybe Ben, can you give me a thumbs up if they can see the screen? Cool. <laughs> awesome. Um, so the verses will go on there as well if you're struggling to find them. So just to recap, if you haven't um, been with us for our whole series, in weeks one and two, we saw that God still loved his people when they were unfaithful and cheated on him and they turned to other gods. Next week, we're going to see that God's love is generous and forgiving and kind. But today we're going to see that God's love means that he punishes wrongdoing. So we have this illustration in the book of Hosea about Hosea and his wife, Gomer, and they represent Israel and God. Now, in chapter three, we didn't spend a heap of time of it, but Hosea actually had to buy his wife back from another man who she had been unfaithful with. So the passages we're going to look at today appear pretty rough against God's people. They're going to use some pretty strong language. But we have to remember that God up until this point has been calling and calling his people to turn away from other gods. God gave them lots of good things and they didn't listen. God gave them poverty and they didn't listen. He spoke to them nicely and gently like we saw last week and nothing happened. So in Hosea chapter 6, verse 4, God says um, that your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. And Lockie's just going to bring up a video. I don't know if you saw the mist this morning, but a mist is kind of like that. It's a fast-forwarded version. God says your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Thanks, Lockie. And by saying that, God's saying that Israel's love is disappearing. It's temporary. Here one day, gone the next, just like the mist. Later on in chapter 6, God says that he has seen a horrible thing in Israel, that they have been so sinful and so greatly turned away from him. 2 Kings chapter 17 tells us the list of everything that they'd done wrong, which included things like setting up statues to other gods, not listening, not obeying, and they even sacrificed their own children to other gods. So enough is enough. So our first point and our main point for tonight is that God's love means that he must punish wrongdoing. God's love means that he must punish wrongdoing. We're going to look at a few verses that describe God's judgment in Hosea. And he's going to say, um, he's going to talk about Israel as Ephraim and Judah, which is talking about the northern and southern parts of Israel. So it would be kind of like saying New South Wales and Victoria. So have a look at Hosea chapter 5, verse 8. Hosea chapter 5, verse 8, our next verse. Yep, next slide, look. Hosea chapter 5, verse 8 says, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. A lion is a pretty powerful beast, isn't it? And I couldn't bring myself to do this, but I'm pretty sure you could watch a video on YouTube or maybe on David Attenborough of a lion tearing apart its prey. It's pretty violent, isn't it? And God is saying here that he is going to tear apart his people and carry them off into another land. Listen to the next verse, Hosea chapter 6, verse 5. He says, therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth, and then my judgments go forth like the sun. So God's saying here that his, his judgment is like the sun, which exposes what is hidden, exposes their sin. 
And then the next verse, Hosea chapter 9, verse 15, is God talking again. He says, because of all their wickedness, all of Israel's wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. So what did God's judgment actually look like? Well, in 722 BC, the nation of Assyria came in and invaded Israel, took away 10 of the tribes from the northern part, and only two tribes in the southern part remained. God's judgment upon Israel was fair, devastating, and powerful. But it's not because he doesn't love them. Now, I don't have this verse on the screen, but have a listen to how he talks about this situation in Hosea chapter 6, verse 4. He says, what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? He's kind of talking like a parent who out of their love have to dis punish a disobedient child. They don't feel really happy about it. They're not excited that they have to punish, but they know that they do. Love and judgment can go together. And they go perfectly together within God's character. Because God is perfect and holy and good, he hates everything that's the opposite to those things. He hates evil and wickedness and sin. Now, I'm going to say that again because it's very important. Because God is perfect and holy and good, he hates everything that's the opposite to that. He hates evil. He hates wickedness. He hates sin. Now, have a listen to this fantastic quote from Abby Weaver about God. She says that God loves the world enough to punish wrongdoing and he loves people enough to take the punishment himself. Just, wow, I love that quote. Although Israel experienced a temporary punishment here, God actually turned up a few hundred years later to take that punishment on himself permanently in Jesus, right? God made a way so that those who trust him never have to experience the punishment that they deserve. And for us today, we see this principle shine all the more brightly. You see, we deserve punishment and judgment and the wrath of God because of our sin and our disobedience and when we turn away. But if we trust in Jesus and put our faith in him, that punishment doesn't fall on us. We are safe from the judgment of God. And the result is that we should be safely in awe and fear of that. Now, I want to know if you've ever wondered why people watch scary movies. I'm not a big fan myself, but there's something that draws people in, isn't there, to watching scary movies? And I think it's because they can be safely afraid. They can watch something on a screen and they know that it doesn't have any real danger in their real life. They can watch a zombie apocalypse or war or aliens. That would be actually terrifying in real life and it doesn't affect them. And it's kind of the same with us. We've learned today that people who turn away from God will face his judgment, just like the Israelites and just like us. But if you trust in Jesus, you don't have to experience that judgment. So we are safe. So we should be safely afraid because we know how powerful God is and what he could do but amazed at the fact that he takes that punishment on himself. Now, you guys know the name of our youth group, Restore, and hopefully you know that it's spelt a bit weirdly because we believe that you can find both rest and awe in God. But I wonder if you know the definition of awe. So here's what I Googled this morning. Awe is the feeling of respect and amazement 
that you have when you're faced with something wonderful and often rather frightening. We hope that you can have an awe experience of God, that you can be safely afraid of God. We hope that you can know his power and his presence, that you can know his judgment, but also his generosity, that you can know how mighty he is, but also how merciful he is. There's this quote from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, um, which I think helps us understand this. And it's talking about Aslan, but it's also kind of true of Jesus. And so hopefully our picture will come up. Yep, the beaver is talking and he's talking about Aslan, which is Jesus. And he says, safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So that kind of shows us that safely afraid idea again. So to recap, if we can have our next slide, thanks, Lockie. God's love means that he punishes wrongdoing. But we don't have to experience that judgment if we trust in Jesus. But God's love means that he punishes, but we don't have to experience that if we trust in Jesus. So we should be safely afraid or in awe of God. And my next point is that we should love him and do things for him with the right motivations. So we spent a lot of time this term focusing on what Israel did wrong and what made God angry. But what does what makes God happy? What does God want from his people? What does he desire? Well, have a look at Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I, the God speaking, he says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. You see, the people of Israel were still giving sacrifices and cutting up the different animals and giving them over to God, but their hearts were far from him. We saw before that their love for God was disappearing like the fog or the mist, just going away. They were doing the right spiritual things, the sacrifices and the burnt offerings, but for the wrong reasons. And so this is also the challenge for us today. Are you doing the right Christian things, but for the wrong reasons? God wants you to acknowledge him and to know him deeply, not just to turn up every Friday on Zoom or that that is a good thing to do. God wants you to cry out to him, to love him, to care about him from your heart, not just read the Bible every single day. He wants our hearts, our feelings, our desires, not just our good Christian things. And I'll be the first to admit that this is hard to do. I often find it a lot easier to just think about my faith like tick boxes and I'm doing the right things. But guys, Christianity is not about doing the right things. It's about relationship with God. God cares more about your heart's love for him than what you do for him. I'm going to say that again because it's super important. Write it down if you've got a pen. God cares more about your heart's love for him than what you do for him. God wants your right motivations. He wants you to care and love him and seek him. So if he looked into your heart right now, what would he see? Would he see a genuine love? Would he see a heart to know God? Would he see someone who truly seeks God? Or would he see something else? I'm going to pray that we would have those hearts and then we're going to jump into some small groups to chat about this further. So why don't we join together in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God who is both loving and just and fair. 
Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus so that we don't have to experience the punishment that we deserve. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have a good, healthy awe and fear of you, Lord, that we would be truly amazed about what we've been saved from and that you have done that for us. Lord, give us genuine hearts that seek to know you and to love you, Lord, not just to do the right Christian things, Lord, but because we want to know you more, because we desire you more, because we want you to transform us, Lord. We pray, Lord, asking that you would help us because this is hard, that you would take any pride and arrogance from our hearts or maybe wanting to do things on our own, Lord. We pray that we would have humble hearts that look to you in our brokenness and sin and look to Jesus, our Saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.